0: Here we go. So yeah, here in in chapter 4, verse 3, we see the first thing that Satan is trying to do is trying to get Jesus to doubt. It was not, first and foremost, about bread. It's not like Satan really cared about Jesus and his hunger problem. (laughs) That wasn't his concern. The first thing that Satan attacks here is this confidence. is Jesus' confidence in who he was, what the will of God was for why he was there doubt if and we see that that was the first tactic that satan used back in the garden of eden as god said that you shall not eat of every tree and then he tried, then he informs her about what would happen if she ate from the tree of knowledge that you would be like god you would understand good and evil you know he's trying to he was trying to get eve to to see God is not for you. He's holding something good back from you. So he so he's trying to get her to doubt God. And here, the first temptation that Satan brings against Jesus is doubt, if you are the son of God. Like I said, it's not about the bread. It's not he doesn't Satan doesn't care about Jesus's hunger problems. And I think it's important for us to understand the purpose of temptation because it's not just an attack. There is actually a purpose. Why God, I mean why, we see in the book of Job that Satan doesn't do anything unless God allows it, right? And God doesn't allow things to happen without being sovereign over it. It's not like he just sits back and says, Okay Satan, just do whatever, I'm allowing you to do whatever you feel like doing. Now God is sovereign, and if God is sovereign, he also, I mean Satan's workings are not, Outside of his ability to control. Like we saw in the book of Job, which we didn't see there personally because I'm just referencing it, hoping that you understand what happened in the book of Job. Satan had to give an account to God for the things that he was doing. And ultimately, Job was tested by the devil at the initiation of God. It's not that Satan just gets to do whatever he wants with no with no, uh, no sovereignty over it. And with that in mind, does anybody understand what temptation even means? What does temptation mean? Tempt, to tempt. What is it, biblically speaking? Does anybody have any thoughts to give in this regard? Get to do okay, so it's an urge to do something. It's uh, something that tries to... To manipulate you into doing something that you wouldn't do without the temptation. The word for tempt in scripture is the word for test. It's not the word for to try to get somebody to sin. It's the word to give a test to somebody. Now what does that sound that has a completely different avenue in our brains versus well I'm being tempted I just I have to either not do it or do it, and then it will be what it will be. No, when, when we're tempted, temptation is a test. And this is all falling under the sovereign plan of God. Why would God let Satan tempt you to try to get you to sin? Well, because temptation or testing is meant to produce victory, which leads to something greater, greater character, greater um, greater influence. It's supposed to lead you somewhere. Temptation and testing is supposed to develop you as a person. And here in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus being tested through the temptation to sin. Um, And one thing that I I wanted to get to earlier, but I never ended up getting to... um, Let me see here. I don't even know if I actually put it in my notes to talk about this. Um... But in, when Jesus was young, we only we don't know a whole lot about Jesus's young life. We only know a little bit about. We know the events around his birth from a couple of different of the Gospels, and we know a little bit of what happened when he was a little bit older than that, but still a child. What what was one of the basically the one event of Jesus's childhood that we know in Scripture? When he was speaking in the synagogue, yeah. and they were amazed at this. Yeah, they were, he was asking questions in the synagogue. But then that, that little um, little uh, insight into Jesus' childhood ends with a very important verse. A verse that says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man when you look at each of those elements, you can understand Jesus growing in stature. Okay, he's getting, he's developing as a, a boy into a man. You can understand him growing in favor with men because men are learning Jesus, they're relating with Jesus, they're seeing him. These these uh, priests or Levites that he's talking, that he's asking questions in the synagogue were very were amazed at the understanding that he had to ask such questions and to interact the way that he was interacting with as a young boy but what is hard for us to understand is that Jesus grew in wisdom wait isn't he god doesn't he have all wisdom this this relates to his humanity he wasn't taking any shortcuts he too had to learn Scripture. I mean, Scripture came forth from him. He is, in John chapter 1, he is the Word. <laughs> but he, coming as a human being, had to grow in the wisdom. Again, like just as a child, just like all of us do. He had to learn this and learn the wisdom of it. And that's probably what made him sound so profound, because he wasn't just seeing what was in Scripture, he was seeing the wisdom behind what was in Scripture. So he had to learn and grow in that wisdom as a child. He had to grow in favor with God. The Bible says, which that is something that I'm not even sure that I um, understand sufficiently enough to be able to tell you. This is exactly what that means. Um, it seems to me to mean that you know, in the Old Testament, you know, people would walk with God through perpetual obedience, through perpetually choosing the good rather than the evil. In fact, the uh, the age of accountability is associated with the concept of a child learning to choose the good rather than the evil, and not just because their parent tells them to, doing it on their own. So perhaps that's something related to this, where Jesus is, is choosing the good rather than the evil perpetually. And like I said, this is still something I'm meditating on and studying on. Does anybody have any thoughts about that or done their own study on that concept that you might want to offer or share? If not, that's fine. But wondered um, yeah right, so I, think, I don't think it's related to Jesus being sinful and then having to regain favor with God as much as it is Jesus is a child, he is learning to obey, he is learning to submit um, just like all of us do, by, and he's learning it by doing it um, so I, I bring up that passage to, to present this. Um, Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Now, when a teacher gives a test to a student, what's the purpose? See what they know. To see what they know. To prove, see if they've been studying. Yeah, to prove their studies. Kirk, do you have anything to offer about that? Why would you give tests to your students? Well, to evaluate where they're at. To evaluate the pricing, where they're at. Whether they're getting it or not. Right. See if they uh, can safely run it through a table saw. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but a test is not, you know, it's you're giving them something that they have to do to show where they're at. Right. They're taking this test, or in a shop class, or something like that. You're actually performing something to see if you can do it properly. You know, in when I was doing real estate, we had I had multiple tests and multiple exams that I had to go through to prove that I was competent to handle somebody's purchase or sale of a ho- of a home. Because if I wasn't competent to do that, then there's there's no way that Illinois real estate law was going to allow me to 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 allow a wolf into the pasture of sheep to ru- to ruin all of these people's home buying or selling experiences, which still happens, but. We take all these rigorous tests to prove what we know and to prove our ability um, to do the thing that we were learning to do. And it's the same with any anything that you're doing. Um, you know, even with a lot of jobs, part of the application process is they will have you do some sort of... Uh, some sort of testing to see what you know, like how much of Excel do you know? Like it'll, you can, I'm, for one of my jobs, I had to take an Excel test in order to get the job to show if I was competent to do the basic functions of the position or if I was completely novice and, and had to go through much more um, study, much more training to get to somewhere where maybe another applicant was already there. So um, a test is something that proves you it tests you. It shows if are you competent in the things that you've been learning. And as Jesus was growing in wisdom, and through a, perpetual obedience, through the Spirit, growing in in wisdom and favor with God. Um, now we get to a point at the very beginning. Remember, that he hasn't even really started his ministry. Now he said, "There's there's been a couple of things that he has stated or done, but he hasn't even really started his ministry yet." So here he's being tested according to the wisdom of the things that he's been learning, the favor of God, the wisdom of the scriptures. Now, here, in the temptation of the wilderness, this is kind of like Jesus' initiation into his ministry. Because um, directly after this, we'll talk about another time, he goes out and he calls his disciples. Directly after that, he goes and preaches the longest sermon that he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, which we will spend months on, probably. Um, because there is so much wisdom in the Sermon on the Mount that we could spend a lifetime diving into. Um, but here, he's being tested by the devil. The devil, God unleashes. It's almost like you know putting out your warrior into the Colosseum and then releasing a lion to see if that warrior is going to be able to stand against that lion, to show his prowess with a sword and a shield. <laughs> um, and in a way Jesus is entering the colosseum with the sword of the word that he himself breathed out <laughs> much long ago and to see if in his humanity that he had grown in that wisdom as a human being and the and god releases satan the lion to co- to, to try to devour him to to render him useless and it, it is it's it's strange to think of why in the world would the devil even try. Like he knows who he's up against. <laughs> he knows he's up against the Son of God. But, but just like you know, you think about. I, don't know, I can't think of an illustration. A very good illustration off the top of my head. But let's say there's somebody that, um, you know, in your carnal, carnal, the carnal mind of a teenager. You have this teenager who's um, bullied by this bully for years but then finally that teenager gets a chance because this bully is in a position where he's vulnerable even though that bully is stronger than him and even though that bully could lay him out in a matter of seconds you might still want to try <laughs> just to see if you can take him down <laughs> and perhaps that's the devil here he knows jesus is the son of god he knows that he's perfect he's probably not going to sin from satan's perspective but he's just got to try. He just has to try. Because <laughs> this is a time when Jesus is at his most vulnerable. And if he's going to fall, he's going to fall now. So Satan, in his, uh, in his uh, wicked pursuits, he tries. He tries to get Jesus to fall. He said, And he starts with the very first trick that he had in the book. If. If you are the son of God. Doubt. Okay, so start doubting. Trying to plant the seed of doubt in his mind. Are you really the Son of God? If you're the Son of God, prove it. It will be better for you. I mean, look, you're, you're hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days. It's not wrong for you to simply turn this rock into bread. I mean, that, there's nowhere in the law that prohibits God from turning rock into bread. I'm not asking you to sin, Jesus. You have, I mean, show, show yourself that, the, that nature obeys you. I mean, you're God, Right? So if you're God, the nature will obey you. So just prove it. And if I I were Jesus in this situation, if I were an imperfect Jesus, surely I would say, you know what? I am the Son of God. I can do anything. After all, Satan is right. It's not sin for me to turn this stone into a bread. I am the Son of God. I can do this. And at this point, we don't see sin in bread-making. Otherwise, nobody here should be making bread. <laughs> um, <laughs> please don't stop making bread. <laughs> bread is bread is delicious. Um, but we see the potential, one, to doubt. To doubt. But we also see the potential sin of self-will. And this is something that we have to come to grips with, because this is very fine-tuned. Like Jesus went on this excursion in the wilderness to fast at the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit sent him to do this. This was his first big commission to go and fast in the wilderness. And as the Son of God, he had a purpose driven by the will of the Father for which he was there in the first place. But as the son of man, he had to learn obedience in the midst of the greatest pain so that he might fulfill his father's will. And please try to follow me because I'm getting to something that has implications for us. Um, And here Jesus is learning to resist the devil in a situation when the devil is not asking him to do anything that's inherently sinful. He's not asking him to do something that's inherently sinful. But if Jesus, and here's the, here's the key that we need to understand here about self will if Jesus were to submit to the devil in this, this thing that were not a sin, but he was trying to convince him to, to claim it, to, to, I'm able to do this, I can do this, he is separating, Jesus would be separating his will from the will of the Father and the will of the Spirit. He would be separating his will from the will of the Father and the will of the Spirit. He would be distracting his purpose, even momentarily here. He would be distracting his purpose from something spiritual to, some, to engage in something temporal. This is why Jesus responds in verse 4, But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we... Are very easily beguiled in this regard. Many of you may in your hearts believe that you don't really struggle on a daily basis with temptation. We don't really have these encounters with the devil that Jesus is having or his his minions or whatever. We don't feel like we're suppressed and oppressed by temptation. You don't really feel, because you don't really feel Satan calling you to do these grievous sins. Go out and We don't really feel that on a daily basis. You know, go adulterate, go thieve. You know, we don't really feel the call to do these bigger, more obvious sins. And even if we did, we're probably too cowardly to carry them out anyway. Uh, I don't want to go kill someone and go to prison for the rest of my life. If I go commit adultery, even though I'm I'm a luster, I would lose everything because my wife's going to find out. You know, so even if we wanted to do these things, we'd probably be too cowardly to do them anyway if Satan were to ask us to do it. Um, but a lot of the times Satan isn't tempting us with these big, gross, sin- obvious sins. But we do, but Satan will, I mean, this is the first temptation that Satan comes at Jesus with. And sometimes this is the first thing that Satan binds us with when we start submitting to the devil and things that nobody could really judge you for. You know, I can't judge anybody for taking thirds at the lunch, t- at the lunch line because I can't point in Scripture and say that was a sin for you. And maybe it wasn't, but maybe it was. Um, nobody could judge Christ if he were to turn this stone into a bread. Nobody's going to be able to point at Scripture and say, thou shalt not turn stones into bread. Thou shalt not bread make. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. Nobody could have held that against him. But what would have happened? We're talking about the self-will that Jesus would have been acting on. He would have separated himself, divided his will from the will of the Spirit and the Father. He would now be operating according to his will. And even in this thing that's not even a sin, his will would have been divided from the rest of the Trinity. Even just this little inch would be enough to, to plant a root of selfish ambition. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves. We give in to things that are not sin, but they were the temptation of the devil because he is trying to plant the root of self ambition within our hearts to separate our will from the will of God. Not the sin of bread make it would not have been the sin of bread making that tarnished Jesus, but it would have been the divi- the division of Christ's loyalty that would have tarnished jesus he would have dismembered the unity the perfect whole 100% unity that christ had with the godhead by causing christ to choose something for himself outside of the will of the spirit and that of the father does that make sense are you following that because it's the division of the will the separating even in something that's not even sinful it's keep, it's giving me self will And it's the passion of the devil to dismember us from the Godhead likewise. To turn us into people who do not seek as the thing that's constantly in front of me. To turn from the will of the Father. Because, you know what, our unity in Christ, we're unified by Christ through the seal of the Spirit to walk in the same will of the Father. Christ, we are to be. I mean, that's why we're called Christians, because we're supposed to operate the same. We're just like Christ, who was filled with the Spirit and was led by the will of the Spirit into the under the will of the Father. But we find it very easy in the appetites of our flesh, appetites for things that may not even be sinful things, to turn our eyes upon ourselves, to find ourselves. Performing outside of the, subs, the sustenance of the Holy Trinity. And Satan succeeds in tempting us with things that aren't even sinful. That's why it's called deceit. Because you think it's fine. It looks fine. doesn't look like there's anything wrong with that. But yet, Satan is not stupid. <laughs> He's been around from the beginning to learn how people operate. To learn what buttons to push to get somebody... Fall, he is. I mean, he is the salesman who could beguile a car salesman. <laughs> um, who knows all the tactics to try to make a sale? You know, he is wise beyond any of us, because he's been around since humans were created. He knows what makes us tick, what we long for, how to get us, how to manipulate us. And without God protecting us, we would all be hopeless before Him, the Devourer. Who devours us not always by the obvious sins, but by the deceitfulness of sin. So in this, we can, you know, there are some things that we can fall prey to that aren't even sins. Some things that are sins, and some things that are connected to sins. But a lot of a lot of what we fall to is not necessarily these big, gross sins that we are doing. Sometimes it's the things that we're not doing that we should be doing, but we don't look bad. By not doing these things, you know, like, for instance, one of the things that Satan wants to keep you from is consuming your mind with the word and prayer. Nobody can look at you and say, hmm, you're not praying or reading your Bible. I can see it. (laughs) Nobody can say that to anybody because that's a private matter that we can do in the privacy of our own homes. You know, But we find ourselves very comfortably not doing that and not feeling bad about it because nobody can judge me for that. The pastor may talk about it, but I can just kind of shove that away because nobody's actually there to condemn me. And Satan traps us by cutting off our lifeline, our our source of water and bread. Like, he, like Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If Satan will beguile us into not... Making a serious matter of being in the word and in prayer, then he's cut off our sustenance for our spiritual life and effectiveness. We may still believe the right doctrines, but we're certainly not healthy and alive. Just like if you were to go days and days and days without eating or drinking, you know, you may still be able to breathe and do some things here and there, but you're vastly undernourished and you will never be able to do the things that you are supposed to do with the affluency that you should be able to do them with. Because you're cutting yourself off from your sustenance. And if Satan can cut us off from our sustenance, then he can render us useless. Even though we might be doing some of the right things and saying the right stuff. We know that we're being beguiled by the devil when we're consistently making choices that revolve around our personal comforts and satisfactions. Those are also things that aren't sin. Is it a sin for you to buy a new mattress or you know, a new car or a new house? Those aren't, those aren't sins. But if our life revolves around our personal comforts and satisfactions, then we have been beguiled by the devil. Not into sin, but into self-will. This prison of self-will, of every, every dollar that I spend and every thought that I think, it's about how I can make myself more satisfied and comforted. Another way is we, don't, we do not acknowledge God's sovereignty over our lives. Rather, we're convinced that we have certain rights inherent to our humanity outside of what Christ has given us according to His Word. Do you have the right to bear arms? Well, that's something that's in the Constitution. You can't really make a whole lot of a biblical basis for that because it wasn't God's priority to give us the right to bear arms. But some people I've seen make that their life's pursuit to make sure that we keep the right to bear arms. And don't get me wrong, I think that we should have the right in our nation to bear arms, but that's not an inherent right that God is utmost, (laughs) that's on God's utmost um, priority for our lives. But we give ourselves to our self-rights rather than just seeking God and what he has given us. That's one way that we can give in to the devil, by distracting us to things that, in the grand scheme of things, they don't really matter that much. And I And I say that sort of lightly, but very seriously, because there are some things that we pursue that, if we just sit down and think about it, it doesn't really matter that much. You know, it matters a little, but if you're, give, you're, if you're giving an improportionate amount of your passion to it, then you have been beguiled by Satan. Another way that we can see that we have been tempted into to self-will, even through things that are not necessarily sinful, is that we're given to time-wasting. And this is something that actually the Bible says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, we've talked about this concept of redeem. Being to draw out of slavery. That's the biblical, that's the main biblical concept behind the term redeem. From the very beginning, redeem first finds its prominence in how God redeemed Israel from Egypt. He led them out of bondage. And Satan likes to keep our time captive. And, God, and the Bible says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Essentially, what he's saying is that. "...our time is enslaved to the things of the world which perish, but we are told to take our time in Christ with the power of the Spirit, to take our time out of slavery to worthless things, and give it to the things that have eternal significance." In Christ. Because Satan has bound our time to revolve around things that don't really survive. <laughs> things, will, things that will die. And we've, we know that we're beguiled by the devil... Deceived by the devil, when we look at our day and it's just consumed with stuff that is just, in the grand scheme of things, a waste. Facebook and YouTube videos and dumb music or whatever. Things that may not even be a sin. Food. <laughs> or our house. Things that, yeah, okay, We need to be responsible and not cast off of all of our responsibilities. But if our primary passion is about things that don't really matter, then we have not redeemed our time. Satan still controls our time. Even though we're not using it for gross sins, well, at least we're not using it for God. And His kingdom and His righteousness. So, it stays captive. It's captive. And we're captive You know, in other ways. We can be captivated by beauty or enjoyment of earthly things in a way that does not raise glory to the creator. I love art, but I've known many, you know, I was a, I've been a photographer for some years because I, I find the world around me to be beautiful. And I, um, I was primarily a wedding photographer because weddings are beautiful and they're one of the most beautiful situations that a person can be in. You know, but one can appreciate beautiful things in a way that really has no significance. Weddings have significance, but do we appreciate beautiful things, um, enjoyable earthly things? Even you know things, things that are enjoyable that are even given for the sake of our enjoyment. Do we appreciate these things in the wrong ways? Our relationships, we can interact with in inappropriate ways for ways that God didn't create them to be enjoyed in. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about since our time is up is another way that to know that we've been deceived by the devil even with things that aren't even a sin is that we're just not ready to shed this earthly body and leave the world behind. Are you ready to die? Is there something in this world that even something that's not even a bad thing are you ready to leave it behind? You know? Am I willing to... I just became a pastor a short time ago. Am I willing to leave and not be a pastor anymore? To me, being a pastor is a great thing. But am I willing to leave that behind because God wanted me to? Are you willing to leave your business behind? Are you willing to leave your money behind? Are you willing to leave your grandkids behind? Your wife, your husband, your church. All these wonderful things. If you're not willing to leave it behind, then you've been deceived by the devil. If you're not willing to shed this earth, and this earthly body behind for the sake of Jesus Christ, then we can know for sure that we've been deceived and are walking in deceit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of Jesus that he left us with and that he resisted the devil in deep and intense ways, retaining the unity that he had with you, the Father, the Spirit, not flinching for a moment, even under the weakest that he'd ever been, not shifting from a moment from the will that you had for him, Lord I pray that we would walk in his footsteps to be willing to leave behind anything to not be tempted to not give in to the temptation of the devil but rather through testing we might be found to be as pure as Jesus Christ for that he came to give us his purity to give us his righteousness lord and we are told to go walk in that righteousness lord help us to not hold on to anything that the spirit might call us to leave whether it's life itself. And may we resound with Jesus, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Give us, Lord, this will that Jesus shared with the Holy Trinity. May we share that as well, being made one with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.